As Perak Dalet begins, we are in the middle of the crossing of the Yarday, and the reason I say the middle is clearly, obviously the event is not finished, but at the same time there's sort of a set of prakim, set of chapters that deal with this event. Last chapter, the current chapter, and really the next chapter, most of the next chapter, uh, focus on the immediacy of the event itself and the immediate aftermath of the event, leading up to uh, chapter 6, Perak Vav, which is clearly Klai Yisrael moving on, the Jewish people moving on to their first battle, um, and that being Yericha. So now in Perak Dalit, we're going to see the event of the ending of the crossing, the actual physical crossing of the Yardin, and Hakama uh, Samatseva, in a sense, a certain a, a symbol, a symbolic gesture, symbolic act to remember and to remind us of um, of the event itself. Fascinating set of events. So God speaks to Yoshua and he says as follows. God says to Yoshua, take 12 men, one from each tribe, for a specific task. He's going to explain what the task is in a moment. Here, the moment just to point out, there's an interesting machlokas uh, between uh, Rashi and many of the Mepharshim. The Malbim uh, disagrees. Um, Rashi says, who are these 12? These are the same 12 that were mentioned sort of parenthetically in the previous chapter. Uh, whereas the Malbim says, no, no, this is a, a new set of 12. Um, the difference between the two approaches, if these are the same 12, then essentially what Yoshua was doing was he was separating them out earlier um, so that they'd be prepared for the current task. If they're different, as the Malbim takes it, then we have to wonder what exactly the first 12 were for, if these are in fact the ones we're going to be dealing with setting up the stones. It would seem from the Malbim, and it seems to be the case in the language of the Malbim, that what we took from before, the 12 earlier, were simply what you would call Nisim, sort of princes of the people, one from each tribe, who were serving as Adim, uh, testimony to the event itself, a representative of each of the tribes. And that's unique um, in the sense that that has never happened before, and that has, doesn't happen again. So it's an interesting chidush on the part of the Malbim, but worthy of note here, uh, nonetheless. <clears throat> Taking Rashi's approach, as most of the Mepharshim do, these are the same 12 individuals from before, and clearly now what Yahushua had done before was based on the tzivoy of God, based on the command of God that you see now here. What that implies is that in writing down, say, for Yeshua, Yeshua placed certain texts in certain locations for a specific intent and purpose. Okay. B'tzavu osamli more. God says, Yeshua, command them as follows. Sulachem mizem mitoch hayardim mimatzav raglei hakonim achein shtei mesrei avanim v'vaitem osam yimachem v'anachtem osam v'malon asher talinu bo halayla. Yeshua says, that they should, uh, he says, God says to Yeshua, they should take 12 stones, each one a stone, from the location where the Kohanim are standing. That's open to discussion as well, we'll get to it in a moment. And you should carry them with you. You should place them down in the place, literally in the modern language is a hotel, but in the, the, the area of resting that you're going to be tonight which ultimately will be the place we know come to as Gilgal. Where are these stones coming from? They're coming from the area where the Kohanim are standing. Remember, the Kohanim are the ones who are carrying the Aron. They went into the, the water first, but we had an outstanding uh, disagreement as to where they were, which side of the river. 
if they are as the Radak had taken, that they had gone all the way across the river, now they're standing at the edge of the entrance to Eretz Yisrael, then these stones are coming from that shore or that area. If we have it as the other Mepharshim have it, it seems, basically, that they went into the water and they stayed exactly where they were until they were commanded to move. So then what you have is these gentlemen who are essentially walking with Yoshua, they're with Yoshua, they're being commanded by Yoshua to go back into the water to get stones and then bring them out so they can place them in their place. The old outstanding question we're going to deal with at the end, Blineder, is why the need for such a matzeva? And some of the very interesting imagery that um, is taking place here. Of course, the the obvious reference is to Dvarim Perach of Zayin in the, uh, chapter 27 of Sefer Dvarim. Moshe commands the people that when they cross the Yardin, that they should establish uh, stones and they should write the Sefer Torah on those stones. So that, uh, you know, that, that's an obvious point. Um, and that's obviously what's going on here. But clearly, Yoshua is adding. Um, to that meaning. Yoshua calls out the twelve, whoever they may be. Cross before the Aron of Hashem into the river. Each one should carry a stone on his shoulder, on his back. So we have a total equaling up to the number of the tribes of Israel, which would be 12. Interesting the language, right? You walk and cross before the Aron. Remember, as we're going, assuming at this point that the entire nation of Israel has crossed, and either they're now standing on the shores of Israel, or they're standing at the edge of the shores of Israel, and the water is still standing uh, to one side in a very high and increasingly larger uh, heap of water to their right, right to the north. And this is continuing. The nation is, is crossing or has crossed, but the water, the miracle is still enduring. As long as the Kohanim and the Aron is still in the water, uh, the miracle endures. So why should they do this? So Pasuk Vav tells us, Laman tiyazos os This should be an os. The Mitsuda explains an os, a siman lizicharon, a a symbol for remembrance. Bikir bechem, within you. Ki yishalun b'nechem machalimor mahaavanim ha'elulachem. Lest your children, or when it is that your children will ask, what are these stones for you? We're going to see similar language later on in the parak, and then we'll deal with them at the time. But there's clearly an obvious, an obvious connection. In language between what Yoshua says here to what it says to us in the Torah uh, with respect to the children asking the fathers, what has become known as the Dalit Banim of the Seder, the four sons of the Seder in Pesach night, when your son would ask, or when they will ask. The language here is obviously very similar, with obvious intent to be reminiscent of that. Pasuk Zayin. When they ask you, you should then say the following. That ought to take that the occasion of the crossing, of the passing of the Aron, right? The the Aron Bris Hashem, the ark that carries the Luchos in it, the waters split. The waters split. 
that these stones should be a reminder and a remembrance, a symbol of that event for all time. It could be that the language of Adulam is in fact true, that these stones actually stand. Um, it's an open question in the course of studying Tanakh, Torah, and Nevi'im, and Ksuvim. When it does say something Adulam, what exactly does that mean? There is uh, a variety of opinions in the commentaries. What Adulam means? And it could be that those stones still exist. Um, we're simply not able to see them. Um, perhaps that um, they're hidden, and uh, they'll be revealed at some point later on in our, in our history. Um, obviously the stones that will be set up in the water potentially are hidden by the water. But nonetheless, Adulam potentially does exist and potentially is something that uh, we could uh, remember. These stones that he's talking about here are the ones, again, that are going to be resting in Gilgal. Uh, Gilgal physically uh, on the map is a place that we know, uh, historic Gilgal, that Yoshua uh, and the Jewish people settle in, um, maybe requiring some archaeological digging. And potentially these stones could be found. Vayasu Kain, Pasukhes, in verse 8, B'nei Yisrael Kashitziva Yoshua, they do exactly as he commanded. And they take twelve stones from out of the water. Exactly as Yoshua commanded them, exactly as God commanded Yehoshua. And ultimately they're going to rest in that place in Gilgal and they're going to stay there. Um, there's going to be a stop along the way with these stones. They're going to stop um, in Harival. They're going to build a Mizbech there, and then they're going to be uh, rolled up again, in a certain sense, and moved to their final resting place in Gilgal. Gilgal will play a major role um, in the coming uh, Sefarim, the coming books of, uh, of, Tana, of Nach, um, as a very important, very significant uh, place, the first place where the Jewish people came to when they came into Eretz Yisrael. And these stones will rest, will rest there. Interestingly, just as, again, a parenthetic point, um, the language here, just as God had spoken to Yeshua, is very important. Um, very similar and reminiscent of language that exists in the Torah, the way God spoke it to Moshe, that the people did exactly as Moshe was commanded, as he was commanded by God. And so, too, in doing it here exactly in the same way with Yehoshua, um, it is intended to make that connection and to see that they do, in fact, revere him in the same way, and that will become very clear in the coming text in a few moments. But nonetheless, that the language itself um, is implanting that seed in our minds, that Yahushua is felt of and viewed as a leader um, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Pasuk Tes, Ushtei Mesrei Avanim Hekim Yahushua Besoch Hayardein, Tachas Matzav Raglea Kohanim Nosei Aron Habrit, Again, a similar language that they're still there. Right? That 12 stones, a new set of 12 stones. You have stones now in the water. You'll have stones now out of the water. Um, and these stones in the water, it's not clear that HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands it to him, but it does become abundantly clear that Yeshua is only doing what God commands of him. And the assumption must be that that language as commanded to him by God is not mentioned, albeit the action itself um, that he does is in fact done as well. Uh, why is it necessary in the water? That's the location, that's the spot. That's exactly where it happened. Uh, 
no different than anything else that one would put as a matzeva, any sort of a symbolic uh, m- memorial um, or a zecher ladav, a remembrance item, uh, a memento of sorts, in a, in a certain location, a certain place. It holds it holds the memory, it holds the location, perhaps perhaps so that later on in generations they could bring their children to the point, to the spot, to show this is where we crossed. The Havdil, it's the Plymouth Rock of sorts uh, in uh, in Tanakh. <clears throat> and the Kohanim, as I mentioned to you earlier, the Kohanim are there. They're simply standing there um, waiting for the entire Tekes, the entire event, the entire procession, the entire ceremony of the stones to complete before they leave. In understanding the way this works, the different Mepharshim explained, I believe it's the Radak, that all of the nation crosses, the Kohanim are standing still, standing pat with the Aron, and Yoshua is bringing up the rear. He's the last one to cross, to avoid any concern, perhaps, that the waters might collapse upon them. Although I doubt that anyone had those concerns by virtue of the fact that they are the Dur Hamidbar. They know, they, they feel, they are present with God. But unless Yeshua brings up the rear, he's bringing up the back, and as he's coming out of the waters, he's speaking to the people, and he's telling them to do these things. He's sharing with them these actions that they are to take upon themselves. Vayimaharu, at the end of the Pasuk, that they cross. There's not a sense that they cross out of fear, but perhaps that they cross out of a desire and a willingness and a want to fulfill the, uh, the miracle and to fulfill their part in the nace that is before them so that they can accomplish. The Pashtus HaPasuk, the basic understanding of the text, is that as all of the nation finished crossing, then the Aron and the Kohanim passed before the nation. The idea of passing before the nation, again, I'll be the basic understanding of the text, is that everyone else had crossed, and now before they continue to move, the Aron is supposed to lead, right? The Ark and the Kohanim are leading the nation now, so that now that they are the last ones in the water, they now have to pass before everyone on their way to leading them towards their next destination. However, Rashi has a very interesting, very different understanding. It's almost as if the Aron does a flyover um, of the people. Listen to this Rashi, Pasuk Yud Aleph. Not in the same manner that everyone else passed. And rather, as it's explained later. When the Kohanim took their feet out of the water, out of the water Rashi explains, they took their feet out of the water on the same side of the water where they came in. That is to say, on the eastern shore of the Yarden. Al HaSafa Shanichnisuba, on the shoreline where they came in. Shayum Omdim Etzla Vachazu Hamayim Laachareim Lelech Kitmosul Shom. And the waters returned. Nim Tsaarum Venosab Mitzadzeh. Vichol Yisrael Mitzadzeh. That now what you have is a separation. The nation is on one side of the river. And the Aron and its carriers, quote unquote, are on the other side of the river where they started. Rashi finishes Nasa Ha'aron as Nosav Vi'ovar. That the Aron carried its carriers and passed over the Yardin. That's why the language is not 
Vayalu, but rather Vayavor, that it passed as opposed to that it came out of. Fascinating Rashi. Why the need for a secondary miracle here is not ex- abundantly clear. It's not exactly, it seems, what the basic text seems to imply, although there are clear differences in language between Vayavor and Vayalu, or vaya, va, uh, va, you know, Lalot, to come out versus to pass across. But nonetheless, that's the way Rashi explains it. Fascinating secondary miracle. Imagine the Aro and the Ark flying over the Ardain itself, carrying its carriers, the people witnessing a secondary miracle, one they were not expecting, one they were not sure that he would even see. Plus a good base. Now as they're setting up to move and to, to begin the task of capturing the land, so it makes sense that their chalutzim, their leading soldiers, would go first. So now that the Aron has passed, and now the two and a half tribes who are coming with them now pass before them, Klai Yisrael is organized in a manner ready to go perhaps to battle. The soldiers are out front, the spiritual lead is out front in the, in the, in the cast of the Kohanim and the Aron. The soldiers are armed, and the rest of the nation follows behind. How many soldiers? Forty thousand men lead the charge. It's clear to us, of course, interestingly, that from the Torah that the tribes had many, many more people than uh, listed here. Many more than forty thousand. So, what happens here? Well, what's the case that you only have forty thousand people listed? It seems a little bit odd. Where are the rest of them? So it seems to be that one can understand that what happened here with the soldiers is that they had troops and that they had battalions and that they had groups of soldiers and that perhaps they changed the guard every once in a while during the course of the years of battle and that certain members of their tribe stayed home to watch over the towns and cities and the, men, and the women and the children and the elderly who could not travel, to leave them unwatched, uncared for in the physical sense, um, can be dangerous. You have enemies. So that what you have is um, interchangeable parts that are leading the way in the two and a half tribes. And perhaps that all of them did not come at the same time, that they simply um, shifted uh, and changed back and forth um, over the course of the years of battle that had to take place. And essentially they didn't rest. They didn't simply stop until it was over. But until that time, it wasn't to be the case. It may help us explain um, a very odd event that takes place later, um, where in the two and a half tribes set up their own sort of matzeva, mizbeach almost in a sense, um, at the banks of the river when they do cross home. To, symboli- to symbolically state that it was over, that the Kaddish Baruch who had served the Jewish people, that they had won. Um, and you can understand it now because p- perhaps not all of them were there. They may not have noticed, they may not have known that was a fact of case. Again, a speculation, but then that's a possibility. But again, the 40,000 number is not everybody, but it's still a very large number. And now, the key, as HaKadosh Baruch who stated to Yehoshua in the last parak, Yehoshua has become great enlarge in the eyes of the people. And they feared Yahushua in the same way that they feared Moshe all of his days. 
And so that's very significant, right? Just like Kadosh Baruch Hu, God had told Yoshua in Perakimah that part of the reason for the miracle was that um, here, in fact, it does happen that Yoshua, in fulfilling the role, Yoshua, in filling the need, Yoshua, in doing all of the commandments, is in fact doing what a Kadosh Baruch Hu wanted, and therefore. Um, as a byproduct, an obvious byproduct is the people buy into the fact that he's a leader and they fear him and they're awed by him in the same way as they were with Moshe. Verse 15. Now it's an actual practicality, all the details of what we mentioned before in Yud Aleph and Yud Beis happening now. Command the Kohanim and the Aron that it should come out of the Yarden. It should come out, it should rise out of the river. Yoshua does exactly as commanded. Come out of the water. And so it was that when the Kohanim, the carriers of the Aron, came out of the Yarden, that the moment that their feet had touched the dry land, the shore, and all of the waters of the Yardane had returned to their place. But not simply that. Very important detail that could get missed. The waters returned in the same way into the same place that they were before this happened. That is to say, that it wasn't a deluge, meaning that there, as we mentioned, the way the miracle happens is this massive pile of water to the right of the Jewish people, to the north. And you can imagine that the moment the Kohanim would come out of the water, the water would simply rush down because it would pile so high and inundate and deluge the area, causing a flood and destruction in the area. In fact, that's not the case. The way the, the Radak explains is simply what happens here as that the water slowly made its way down, back into its riverbed, back into its riverbanks, and it did not, in fact, overflow in any way. Exactly as it was before the event happened, physically almost as if it didn't happen. And the nation comes out of the river on the 10th of Nisan. Again, no accident. That's a significant day for the Jewish people. The tenth day of Nisan, Chodesh Rishon Nisan, is a day in which all those years earlier in Mitzrayim they had taken the first Korban Pesach to be prepared for the Chag. And they rest in Gilgal. Why it's called Gilgal, we'll get to in Pirkei. On the outskirts, the edges to the east of Jericho. Yeshua will then establish, or does establish, those stones that were taken out of the river. He will establish them in Gilgal. But of course, there's a very famous, very important event that will take place before they get to Gilgal. But that event, on Har Grizim and Harival, is not mentioned for many, many prakim. But in fact, it seems to take place really right here. Yeshua again now speaks to the people. What are these stones? Similar question to what we had earlier. So what's going on difference? It seems to be different generations. The previous said, this is based on the Malbin, the previous discussion earlier in the parak seems to be that generation. 
When this generation of children speaks to this generation of fathers, what should they speak about? And now what's going on in Chavalef is Ladore Doros. Further and future generations. <clears throat> when they ask, what will you say? You should teach them. They should acknowledge. They should be knowledgeable. They should be, it should be passed to them. That the Jewish people crossed on dry land in this Yardane. Not something that they crossed the river. It was on dry land. As we mentioned before, anybody could cross the Yardane. But to cross it on dry land, that's something significant. Right? That God had removed the waters, had held back the waters, had dried the land where the waters were for you until you crossed. Just like Yamsuf, again, very key. When you talk about history, to connect dots in history, so here Yoshua is connecting for all the generations the dots between Yamsuf and Yardin. That they're related, that they're connected, that the purpose of Yamsuf is the purpose of Yardin. That it wasn't over at Yamsuf, and that it's not over at Yardin, but that they're part of the same path and the same journey of the Jewish people from one place to the next. And so by connecting the two in the statements to the generations, to the children that follow, one sees the points and the lines forming between Mitzrayim, Yitziat Mitzrayim, Yamsuf, Harsinai, Yardain, Eretz Yisrael. That they're a pattern, they're part of the same purpose, they're part of the same path, they're all connected. It's the chain of events, the chain of the history of the Jewish people. But not only that, Yeshua adds one other very important detail. Lamandat Aret et Yad Adunai, Ki Chazakahi, that all of the Ameha Aretz, the nations of the land, should know how strong. The Yad Hashem is. That they should be awed and fearful of God for all days. And we see that that in fact does happen for certain populations. Although they still come and fight, they still do battle, the notion of them being defeated in the language of the Navi is that they are defeated at the outset that they should understand and realize that all of these events and all things that are about to happen are miyat Hashem, that they're hand of God, and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is intent on the events unfolding in the right manner, and that the Jewish people will settle land. One thing to point out as well, we mentioned in Perik Gimel, the Gemara in Sota, that deals with the greater details of the crossing of the Yardin. I want you to realize so many things happened to the Jewish people on that day. So many miracles. <clears throat> and quote for you the Gemara, again, from Masechah Sota. They got to the Arden that day. The water split that day. The people crossed that day on dry land. They removed the stones on that day. They took the stones to... Har-Eval on that day. They then took the stones from Har-Eval and put them in Gilgal on that day. They then wrote the entire Sefer Torah on those sets of stones that day, and the nations themselves came to study that Torah from them. 
all in one day. All on that singular day, Yud B'Nisan, the tenth day of Nisan. And essentially calls out the other nations with respect to why they don't listen. They know about the miracle here. Clearly from the words of Rachav, they know about previous miracles that have happened for the Jewish people. They don't take heed, they don't listen. They still battle, they still fight, they still come out. Why not give up? Lamas says their land. They live there. And the reality of believing in God or not believing in God, so in their perspective, God of the Jews is a God, just like their gods. And sometimes he's powerful and sometimes he's not. Sometimes he acts and sometimes he doesn't. And right now he is, but maybe he won't when their time comes. So the notion that the nation should also simply start bowing down to God, albeit they are aware of the Torah, they are aware of what's to happen, they understand it, they are concerned about it, they probably ultimately believe that it will happen exactly that way, and nonetheless, they still fight with the Jewish people. We continue tomorrow with Parakeh.